So before we get going, how about a little context first? So the passage that we just read, this group of verses here, which in and of itself is a pretty notable passage, right? I mean, this is a passage that you could say, okay, maybe I've heard this a little bit. It's just a slice of the pie that is Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, which covers Matthew chapters five through seven. And so whether you're young or old, whether or not you've been in church for a very long time, shoot, even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian necessarily, you've probably heard some of the teachings within the Sermon of the Mount, even if you didn't know that that's what you were hearing or those are the verses that you were hearing. And we don't even have to go back to to chapter five to look at any. We don't have to go forward to chapter seven. Right here in chapter seven where we're at, it is full of some of the most well-known teachings of Jesus. So check it out. Chapter six begins with Jesus essentially saying, hey, when you give to the poor, you give to the needy, uh, don't make a big show out of it. Don't boast about it. Don't go out there and tell everybody what you're doing. And this is where we get the verses. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then after that, Jesus moves on to talking about praying and how we should pray. And in a really similar fashion to what he just got done saying about giving, he says, hey, when you pray, don't go out in the open and do it to make a big show and seem more holy and righteous just so you can be seen by others. He talks about going into your room, closing the door, and praying. Some of you might have heard the term prayer closet. Like, hey, how's your quiet time going? How's your time in your prayer closet? It's where we get some of that language from. And then he gives us the Lord's Prayer right after that. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask, so pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You can finish it with me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I see it on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, my man, right here in the front. I appreciate you. It's one of the most recognizable passages in the Bible, right? Then he goes on after that for another greatest hit of the Sermon on the Mount, and he points out the uselessness of storing up treasures, earthly things, possessions, physical belongings here on the earth, and he says, but lay up your treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And then directly before our passage tonight, chapter six, verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Probably heard some of those before, right? Yeah. So for this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, 25 through 34, uh, I want to break our time into three portions, three things that I think Jesus is pointing out, three things that he's really wrapping this up in. So number one is, and if you're a note taker, these would be your headings if you've got your notebook out. One is Jesus identifies and exposes our misplaced trust. Number two Jesus reminds us of God's goodness for today. And number three is, Jesus assures us of God's provision for tomorrow. So he points out where we've misplaced our trust. He reminds us of God's goodness. And then he assures us of God's provision for tomorrow, for the future. So let's go back into our passage here. He just got done saying, don't store your treasures here on earth 
can't serve God in money. And then in verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you. So he's just finished talking about how you can't keep all these earthly things. These earthly things are not the things you need to spend your time on. And says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And you know, some translations, this is the CSB that we're looking at here. Translations like the ESV and others replace the word worry with anxious. So don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. And Jesus is using two examples in the passage here that, that really could be applicable to anyone. He's talking about food and clothing. He is using that to illustrate this earthly, temporal, these physical things where we might fall into the temptation to worry and to stress and to be anxious. But here's the interesting thing for us today. If you're sitting in this room and probably if, if you're hearing my voice later on because you've downloaded uh, this sermon sometime later online, chances are that you live in a relative state of privilege to where you don't have the day-to-day cares of where your food and clothing are coming from. You know what I mean? I'm talking about like in the grand scheme of world economics. Like you probably got up today and generally speaking, you knew how or where you were gonna get food, right? You, you knew, well, even if you didn't know what clothes you were gonna put on, you probably had a few shirts you could pick from, a few pairs of pants, you know, some different colors to match them up, get a little different vibe going on. We've got a lot of hats in the crowd today, a lot of hats to choose from, I love it. Um, but, but you're not dealing with the day-to-day anxiety and stress of having these necessities. But then we have Jesus' audience that he's speaking to, the crowd that had gathered to hear him on the hill just outside of the city where he's giving this sermon. And I'd wager that sure, that there were some people in his midst, in the midst of that crowd, that in their context, where they were living at the time, were of a similar means to what we probably are. But I'd also be willing to bet that there were a lot of folks that were in that crowd to where the day-to-day necessity of food and clothing, that's something they thought about a lot. Don't you think so? Didn't quite know where the next meal was gonna come from. Didn't have a ton of clothes to choose from to where when that pair of pants wears out, they don't know what they're gonna do. When that shirt gets a bunch of holes in it, they're just wearing the shirt with holes in it. Who legitimately might have felt anxious about these things and honestly might have had some reason to, to worry or wonder, what am I gonna do? So what do we do with this then if us just here on the front side of 2022 feel like, well, okay, I, does this really apply to me? Like I've got, I have enough food and I have all the clothing I need. So like, okay, I'm not worried about those things. Um, well, what I'd put for you today, what, I, what I'd present before you is that what Jesus is really trying to do right here is he's trying to expose and illuminate our all too often human tendency to place our hope and our trust and our security in the wrong things. Yes, he's most surely and literally describing two things that can present themselves really easily to anyone, food and clothing, absolutely. But what I believe Jesus is doing here, he's getting a little deeper to the root of misplaced trust and hope. 
and he's pointing to the source, the heart of where and why these things arise, much more than he's only trying to point out to the physical manifestations of where that worry and that anxiety go for. Because it can't just be about the object that the worry and the anxiety are on, right? Because then you could just change what's going on with the object or the situation with the object and all worry would disappear. You have all the clothing you need. Great, you're not worried anymore, right? I would, I would be willing to bet that most of us in this room at one point or another still get a little worried about things, still feel a little anxiety. You can't just change the circumstance with the thing. It's not just about attaining the thing, gathering the thing, obtaining the thing, because then it would be like, be like if you had a big dead tree in your yard. You have a big dead tree in your yard and you walk outside one day and you go, that tree ain't got any leaves on it. I'm gonna fix that. And so you go back inside, you get a bunch of green construction paper, you cut out like 100 leaf shapes, and then you go outside and you tape it onto the tree. And it's fixed, right? No, thank you, Josh Wilson. No, it's not fixed at all. Appreciate you, Hazel. No, it's not fixed at all. The problem wasn't that the tree just didn't have any green leaves on it. You were observing what you thought was the problem to begin with, and you thought you were going to fix it, but that wasn't the point at all. The problem is that the tree has something deeper going on. Maybe there's some disease that has crept into the tree or the root system. Something's going on with the roots to where it's not getting the nutrients to keep it healthy. It's not really about the outward appearance of things, right? You have to look closer. You have to look deeper to what's truly going on and why it's going on. So for you, great. There are some like really basic things that you don't have to worry about or be anxious about. Food, clothing, some of the basic necessities of life. The bare necessities of life, as Baloo might say. But what are the areas of your life where you find yourself staying up at night? Maybe not food, maybe not clothing, Where are those areas of life where you find yourself in the middle of the day, zoned out for like 10 or 15 minutes, and you're brewing on something that you feel like you just can't get a grasp on? Your job, your finances, a family member, some other relative, your child, a friend, and you're thinking through it, has you in a place where your head spins? You feel your heart rate rise and you just feel paralyzed, right? How many of us deal with things like that? Maybe a little deeper, maybe a little not as surface level as clothing and as food. So how about this? How many of you, and I'm looking at your group right here, OCS, how many of you, show of hands, it's okay to raise your hands, are two years or less away from graduating high school? I'm thinking like sophomore or older. Oh, there we go. Okay, you raise them high. It's okay. I see you. I see that hand. Well, not first off, congratulations. You're like halfway or more there. You're getting close, right? Feeling good about things. Uh, but you've got some big decisions to make over the next couple of years, right? You've got a lot of stuff that you're thinking about of what to do next, what's coming after high school. And I'd guess that it's like, probably one of the big things everybody asks you about. So uh, what you gonna, what you doing after high school? What you gonna do after you graduate here in a couple years? What kind of schools have you applied to? Oh, that one? Oh, you didn't apply to this one? 
And I'm sure it doesn't get old at all, right? Like you love hearing that over and over and over. You love answering that question. Now for some of you, as you think about that stuff, as you think about what that next step is after high school, after graduation, some of you, it's not a big deal. You're just cool as a cucumber. The future feels like this really exciting thing that you're just ready to tackle it. You're ready to see what it has for you. Uh, But I bet for some of you, it's not like that at all. I bet for some of you, you spend a lot of time feeling the pressure of it, the anxiety, whether that pressure has been put on you from somebody else. You don't want to let anybody down. You don't want to make the wrong decision. You don't want to do the wrong thing. The list goes on and on, right? These are real things. These are real feelings that you feel. Maybe you're someone who's just very, very close to one of those people that raised their hand, one of these guys that raised their hand here. You're feeling the pressure of that. Or maybe you're like some of us here in the room. You've got younger ones where you have all kinds of things that you can get worried about with them. You know, my wife Sarah and I, uh, we've got two kids, and we're expecting our third. The news is finally getting around. Uh, Sarah's pregnant. My wife, she had a red sweatshirt. Hey, thank you, guys. It's very sweet of you. It's, it's a wonderful thing to clap for. I'll take it. So we've got Russell, who's three years old. He was the little one running up and down here, not knowing where he wanted to go. Uh, and Olive is right up here. She's seven. She's in second grade. Hi, Olive. Some of you guys get to meet her. And you know, we've been talking a lot about school lately with her. Uh, me and Olive have talked about this. It's okay. I'm talking about it with you guys. She said it was fine. You're fine. <laughs> so we've been talking about school a lot lately, her feelings about it, her friends, what she thinks about school, what the future might hold for her. Sarah and I have been talking a ton about it. And look, I'm a very easygoing, mild-mannered, generally non-worried person. And shoot, this is one of those things that can get me even a little stressed out and worried. It's big stuff to think about, right? Because it feels like if I don't make this happen or this happen, or if I have to choose between this and this, and this thing doesn't work out, then everything's going to fall apart because it's on me, right? This is all on me to hold things together. And right there in that spot is where I think Jesus is trying to focus us. He's trying to focus us right there in that spot where we today in this moment think that our trust and our security, what the future holds, how we're gonna handle those things, that it all is dependent upon us and we're the ones that have to figure it out and muster enough strength and wisdom and know-how to make sure it all goes according to plan. There are a lot of things in this life that are really worth thinking through. Really taking time to sort through your feelings, the emotions of it all, making decisions, doing tough things. And I believe that that is righteous in the sight of the Lord, really taking the time to think through things. I think the Lord cares about that. You see, Jesus doesn't say in these verses that these things aren't important, food and clothing, that they don't matter. In fact, in the Lord's prayer just before this, he prayed to God, give us our daily bread. He prayed for food. Jesus doesn't say that at all. Your your finances, a job change, your relationships, it's not that they're not important or not necessary. No, not at all. I think that these scriptures want us to see that the issue, the danger is when we take the thing 
And then we strip our trust and our security and our faith away from God. And we say, hey, if I don't figure this out, it's all gonna fall apart. Everything's gonna be ruined. Everybody's gonna be unhappy. And I need to make sure it goes the way it needs to. And then I'll get back to finding my rest and security in you, God. You see, yeah, I trust you, God, but I need this thing to go this way. And so I'm gonna really make that happen so that I don't have to feel discomfort, so I don't have to feel stressed or worried. Now, what I'm not about to do is launch into a 10-point checklist of practical ways to keep yourself from being worried and anxious. That'd be the wrong thing to do here. And I most assuredly am not a counselor or a physician that could stand on any sort of background to tell you those things. My job is to simply point you to the great physician. Amen? So let's take a look here. What does Jesus have to say? Well, this is gonna bring us to my second insight of what I think Jesus is doing here is Jesus reminds us of God's goodness now. Let's look at verses 26 through 30. He says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you little faith? Now here's what's so incredible and beautiful about this section of scripture to me is that Jesus could have And wouldn't we be tempted to do this if we were trying to give advice to someone to say, okay, so you're feeling worried and anxious about some big life stuff that's going on. Okay, so here's what you need to do. First thing is, and then we we just wanna give step-by-step instructions on how to mitigate and minimize the feelings of what's happening, the worry, the anxiety. But again, Jesus isn't just trying to change behavior. Do you see what I'm saying? He's not simply trying to fix the outcome. Oh, if I can just get them to stop worrying about that thing right there, that's what the problem was. No, that problem doesn't speak to the heart of it at all, does it? The real underlying problem. So what does he do? And I think this is beautiful. He gets right to it and he essentially just says, don't you realize how much your father loves you? Look back here at the the verse. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And then later on in 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, this little fleeting thing, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So Jesus, in addressing worry and anxiousness, he doesn't tell them, and he's not telling us today, that we're stupid, that we're weak, or that we're simply just not emotionally mature enough yet to get past worrying, like it's some level you ascend to because of the way you're able to think or because your circumstances have changed. Yes, he's definitely exposing our misplaced trust and our misplaced hope, and he does rightfully call into question the measure of our faith, but he does not condemn. You hear that? Consider the birds of the sky. 
They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? How incredible, how beautiful is that, that we are talking about God the Father. Jesus is providing a gracious relief from our mental and emotional anguish and thinking that we have to seize this day on our own and then have the power and the strength to manifest what tomorrow will bring. He's saying, look, day to day, hour by hour, minute by minute, the almighty God of heaven and earth who created all things, he's sustaining the birds that are flying around in the sky and they pale in comparison to you. Won't he care for you that much more? And listen, if you're a Christian, this is really, really important. If you're a Christian, if you're a person who has placed your trust in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and you're now living in a manner where you're submitting your life so that you can be more like him, you are a son or a daughter of the almighty God over all of creation. You've been adopted grafted in to the family of God and you don't walk alone in this life because the same God that breathed everything into existence whose spirit went across the void of the earth and made all things, that God looks right down at you in this moment and because of his infinite love and mercy cares about you making it through this day. Do you believe that today? What a wonderful image that provides us. Jesus does not fight back against worry and anxiety and fear. He reminds us that the ultimate reality we live in is that God is not a distant, disconnected tyrant who sits on a throne of judgment and hates every move that we make. That's not true at all. He's a merciful, loving, gracious. Yes, he is just and he will judge but he is an ever-present father who looks after and sustains us much more than he does anything else. And look, you can take rest in this truth from other places in the Bible too. It's full of these promises and reminders. Luke 12, six through seven. You might know some of these. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value and many sparrows. Psalm 34, 17 through 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And probably one of the most notable and beautiful scriptures in all the Bible, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That literally means I don't need anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the God that we call Father. That's the God that when we pray, hears us. So we'll finish up with this last point tonight, and that is that Jesus assures us 
of God's provision for tomorrow. Look, there are a lot of reasons why we could feel worried or anxious about the future. Like we've all got our own reasons why that makes us a little nervous and a little fearful and we worry. But I'd say one of the main core reasons for all of us is really just the simple fact that we don't know what's gonna happen and we don't really have any control over it. That's the part that is the most basic worry about the future is I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. I don't know what's gonna happen in a year, right? Let's read the rest of our passage here, starting in verse 31. So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, so show of hands if you're brave enough. Who in this room, this is not just for the OCS family here, uh, who here was born, let's say, before 1994? Gotcha, okay. And so who was born after 1994? Okay, very good, very good. Okay, so the story that I'm gonna tell right here, it's, it's gonna make a lot of sense to the pre-1994 people, and you'll probably get a little bit of it for the post-1994 people, but we'll go on this ride together. The year 2000 was a big deal. Y2K, baby. It was huge. I mean, we were a generation of people that were not only going to see the start of a new century, we were going to see the start of a new millennium, and it made the whole celebration of New Year infinitely more exciting and a little bit scary. You remember this? How could you forget? If you're, if you're anywhere close to my age, this was like the biggest thing in your world. Because as the year 2000 approached, new stories started coming about that were like, hey, you know how computers like run everything in the world? Well, when it hits 2000, we think they all might mess up and just like turn everything off and all civilization will cease to exist as we know it. That's kind of like the gist of what was going down. Uh, the short version of it was back in the 1960s when computers were becoming a little more sophisticated but still like took up massive amounts of room, the developers that were writing the computer programs to save data, check this out, with our smartphones that hold 500 trillion pictures, to save space in the computers, they didn't put the date as four digits, they just made it as the last two digits. So instead of 1986, it would have just been 86. Instead of 1999, it would have just been 99. And so for the year 2000, it would have just been zero, zero. And the big fear was that, hey, when these computers hit double zero, they're not gonna understand how to compute that and they're gonna fall apart and the world's gonna fall into chaos. Spoiler alert, it's 2022 and we're cool. Things are cool, the computers are fine, the computers did it. But look, I can vividly remember where I was when the clock ticked over to the year 2000. I was 14 years old, and for a few years in a row, my family made it a tradition on New Year's Eve to go to a late night movie, and then we'd go to a restaurant called Shoney's. Does anybody remember Shoney's? Did you guys have, let's go for Shoney's. All right, 
Didn't know that's going to get the biggest applause in the night. Shoney's would do like a breakfast buffet leading up to midnight. So we did that. We'd go to the Shoney's breakfast buffet. And I can remember being on the expressway on the way home from Shoney's. Uh, I think I got sick that night too. It was bad. I like, I don't know if I've eaten scrambled eggs from a breakfast buffet since then. It's like major moments in my life besides just being the year 2000. So we're driving home. We're like 15 minutes away from home. And I look down at the clock and we're only like a couple minutes away from it hitting midnight. And as a kid, like you don't really know time. You just know like you're out with your parents, whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's about to hit midnight. And I'm a 14 year old kid, but I like feel my chest kind of tense up. And I'm looking outside as we're driving at all the street lights. And I'm looking at all the buildings that are lit up. And I'm like, okay, when it hits midnight, you're gonna know that everything is falling apart because I bet all the lights will go out. Like those are gonna be the first things to go. The, the electri electrical infrastructure is gonna fail. And like when it hits midnight, you'll know it went down because the lights are gonna go off. And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and it hits midnight. Absolutely nothing happened. No lights went out that I could tell. There was no screaming and yelling in the streets. No dinosaurs that like came through and wrecked our car. Like, as far as I could tell, nothing happened. It just turned into another year. You guys, there were people who built Y2K bunkers on their property with years of food. This was a big deal for some people. Years of food and water and supplies so they could sustain their life when all of civilization crashed down. The worry, the lack of control, the anxiety, the fear of what could happen in the future made some people take the most extreme of measures. If you had a bunker in your house, this is not a condemnation on you. I'm sure you, you, you've been able to utilize that for a bunch of wonderful storms and things like that to keep your family safe. But here's the thing, looking back 22 years later, it seems a little silly. You know, we're removed from it, we can look back on it and laugh, we can put it into a sermon illustration, and everything is all good. But let me ask you this, what if something really crazy had happened when it hit midnight on the year 2000? Where would our hope and our trust and our security have been found then? It's not a sin to prepare, like to think through something to attempt to plan something to the best of your ability. There's wisdom in really thinking through and seeking counsel and praying about what you guys are gonna do after high school. It, it's not bad to think in advance. It's okay for you to think through saving and investing for retirement so you don't have to work until you're 85 years old. It's okay to do that. It's a worthy endeavor for you to think about the big things in life, the important things in life that might be coming your way and to just be prepared with how you're gonna react when they come. Where we have to be careful and where I think the scriptures are pointing us to today is when we attempt to take a future that one, isn't promised to us and two, we have no control over and we live as if we can order the steps of our lives years in advance and we worry and stress about things that we can't control and that might not even happen. And although we don't say it with our lips, what our lives say and what our actions say in those moments is, God, I just, I don't know if you're gonna make this right. And there are circumstances, Lord, that I don't know if I can rest on you for. Nobody says this out loud, 
But when we allow ourselves to creep into those places where we're thinking about a conversation that might happen and we go through it for an hour in our head and we've crushed ourselves because of what might happen and it might not even happen that way. But there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and that's real. These are real emotions. But look, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, I don't think Jesus is trying to minimize feelings that you may feel. Do you see what I mean? This isn't a call to try and find the magical way to flip the switch in your mind of just correcting an inaccurate way of thinking. Do you see what I mean? He's trying to get to the heart of things where your trust is placed. Because look, in your life, you're going to have some really awesome and incredible stuff happen to you and for you. It's gonna happen. You're gonna have some really awesome things come your way. You will. And you know what? You're gonna have some not great things happen to you too. Like those things will happen too. You're not gonna like them. You're gonna wish they didn't happen. And I bet for everybody here that looking back, you've already got a list in both categories. You can already speak from experience. The toughest part about it all is we don't know when either of those things are coming. We don't know down the road when the tough things, the hard things, the difficult things, or when the great things are coming. We don't know how frequently they'll come. We don't know how intense they'll be, whether the good or the bad. You just don't know. If the Lord blesses you with a long life, those things are out there. You'll meet them eventually. They're they're there down the road. They will come your way. Let me encourage you today. No matter what comes your way, no matter what lies ahead of you, whether it be the indescribable joy of you having every dream you've ever had being realized, or you have the unbearable pain of having nearly everything ripped away from you. You have a heavenly father ready to meet you already in that moment to comfort you and to guide you and to take care of you and to provide you with wisdom and peace and to grow you and shape you and draw you near to him. It may not be easy, especially if it's a tough thing, It may not happen overnight, but he's there. He's there in that moment. He cares for you more than the birds of the air. He cares for you more than the grass that he adorns. He's there waiting in that moment. That's where your hope and trust are. There's an old gospel song written about 70 years ago that I think says this just about as well as you could say it. Well, in with this. Usually gets done in in more of a, country or a bluegrass feel. Alison Krauss does a really beautiful version of it. It's called, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. Here's a portion of it. It says, I don't worry over the future for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him for he knows what lies ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. Amen? That, 
That is what we hold on to in those moments where we are tempted to worry and be anxious about what today or tomorrow holds. Not the fact that you need to figure out some new way of coping with things. Not because Jesus said you're stupid or not emotionally mature enough. No, you can walk forward and handle these things because you have a God and Father that cares for you. You have the assurance of salvation and Jesus to last for all of eternity. And you have the Spirit of God residing with you to guide you through every moment. It doesn't mean it'll be easy, but you do know who holds tomorrow. We surely don't, but we can trust in the one who does. Let's pray.